Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, while we do this, if there's somebody on your heart today that you uh, have the capability of shooting them a text, just shoot them a real quick text and just say, praying for you, something like that. Or your church family is praying for you, or whatever the case may be. The other thing is that uh, if you know somebody who is physically here in the building this morning, who is going through a trial or needs some encouragement, or the Lord just brought them to mind for some reason. Feel free to get up out of your seat and go to them and just put a hand on their shoulder and just say, I love you, and then uh, breathe a quick word of prayer for them. The other thing is the front of the church, we call this the altar, is open for you if you've got somebody on your heart. I'm thinking about all of the people that are going to children's camp in 107 degree weather probably need some prayer don't you think because my experience in taking teenagers and children to camps every year is don't worry so much about the kids it's the adults that ruin the camp because they get grumpy and they get tired and all of that we need to pray for our adults that are going to camp as well as for the campers and so the altars are open if you've got a personal need it's open for you to come and uh, don't let anybody come alone okay make sure that we're all together in all of this because as the old spiritual says it's not my brother not my sister but it's me oh lord standing in the need of prayer so <clears throat> let's do that now okay and then i'll lead us in a word of prayer in just a moment Everybody where they need to be? And by the way, I like the sound of crying babies in the auditorium. So you mamas don't ever feel bad about that. That's a beautiful sound. I'm glad they're here. Okay. Heavenly Father, I'm thinking about Bob Hooker today. And I miss him standing out there at that north entrance and greeting people. <clears throat> I know he's having a hard time right now and is in a lot of physical pain. And having trouble getting to a doctor and getting to the right doctors and having Medicare issues and all of that. I want to pray. First of all, would you just uh, invade his life right now, ease his pain, and overwhelm him with the comfort that comes from being in the presence of God and overwhelm him with the love that you have for him and the love that we have for him as well and bless him today. I'm thinking about some other people that are having marital problems. I'm thinking about, Lord, how difficult it is in this day and age to have harmony because everything seems to pull us apart. Everything seems to cause us to want to go to the streets and to yell and to burn things down and to protest. And that even carries over into the home. And while we may not physically act like that, it seems to be the atmosphere of hate and unconcern and coldness and all of those kind of things. Oh, Lord, would you break down those barriers and would you bring people together? And as I think about, Lord, the abundance of sin in the world today, we can complain about that, we can gripe about it, we can be mean and we can be ugly, but would you remind us that we too are sinners? Would you remind us that we were just as dead in our trespasses and sins as the most radical of sinners? Would you remind us it took just as much of the blood of Jesus on the cross to save us as it does anybody living in this world today? 
<clears throat> and would you remind us of the great and glorious gospel that we didn't come up with and we didn't attain and we didn't find, but it found us because you're a great and wonderful and loving God. And I know that there are people here today and there are people that are going to be at uh, children's camp and there are going to be people that work with us, people all around us that need to know about the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're asking you as believers, make us aware of that. Make us willing. Psalm 110.3 says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. So we're asking for your power to make us willing to be witnesses and then give us opportunities to do so and give us the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to share Christ as we should. And I pray, Father, that you would also help us if we see a need in somebody's life, a physical need, a material need, a monetary need, or maybe a spiritual need or an emotional need, I pray that we would meet that need and help those people. Heal our sick folks. Comfort people who are grieving today, Lord. Be a friend to the lonely and save the lost. And may Jesus be exalted. And as we look into your word, May we give full attention to what your word has to say today that we might not just endure it and leave, but carry it with us with our soul being fed and nourished and our mind renewed. And may everything be to the exaltation of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus. And we are in uh, chapter 40 as we... Uh, get ready to wrap up this wonderful book, this book about the glory and the power of God and about uh, the worship of the Lord. So much of the book is about how God wanted his people to worship him. And we may not do it in the same way that they did because we're in the new covenant. But uh, we see the new covenant in the Old Testament and in the old things that are happening. And we learn and we grow from it. I uh, <clears throat> thought as I did this, how do you spell success? Well, everybody knows how to spell success, but I mean it on a deeper level than <clears throat> maybe just the way the letters are. How do we in America spell success today? A lot of times it's uh, like a bumper sticker I saw one time. Everybody's going to die. He who dies with the most toys wins. And we tend to think that happiness is going to be based on our toys. We really haven't grown up all that much, have we? And everything's got to be bigger, better, brighter, shinier, the latest, the newest, the most technologically advanced, all of that. And we can go all the way back to when we were little kids. And if I could just have that new G.I. Joe, I wanted the Marine. And that would make me happy. I don't even know where that thing is now. I wonder, I was thinking the other day about different automobiles I've had, you know, that I, I, I couldn't live without. It's going to be just so great having this car. I wonder where those cars are now. Think about all of the people that have been in your life over the years. If I could just be friends with that person, you said when you were in junior high. If I could just be one of the cool kids. If I could just date this person, if I could just make this team, oh, I would never have another problem in my life. And now all of those things are in the rearview mirror and you still have problems and things in your life, don't you? Because we, some, in some ways we really have not grown up 
And we think that we find our pleasure and happiness and our success in the things that we have. And oh, of course, it's not enough just to have things. Those things need to have the right labels, don't they? Got to have the right brand, the right labels, the right value. You know, someone may brag about what they're wearing and how much it costs or what their possessions cost, but it's not doing anything for them because they're not going to sell them. It's just something that we think it gives us status. So I ask you the question, how do you spell success? Because however you spell it is what you're going to pursue. And if you're pursuing the wrong things, then you're going to end up in the wrong place. And so we've got to be careful about all of this. And we've got to be careful. I think about a commercial when I was a kid. It was a commercial about heartburn. Okay? Anybody remember Rolaids? How do you spell relief? That's what it said. R-O-L-A-I-D-S. Rolaids. Well, I had uh, gone to college and uh, I got into, uh, well, I really got away from everything I was raised with. And uh, man, I, my conscience was bothering me. I was a mess. There was alcohol involved and all of that kind of thing. And uh, I, I just couldn't, couldn't really take it anymore. And I called a friend of mine. It's my friend who uh, some of you have listened to his messages. He has ALS. And uh, he's not going to live much longer. But I called him. And he happened to be in school in Stillwater. Well, I, I made fun of OSU. I didn't care anything about it. But I knew I had to get somewhere. And every time I was around him, he would point me to Christ. And as I talked to him, he said... Well, why don't you transfer and come over here? He goes, my roommate left, and you can move into the dorm with me. And so uh, I decided I was going to do that, and I gave up a scholarship and moved there. And um, the first weekend we were there, when we got up on Sunday morning, he says, where do you want to go to church? I hadn't been to church on my own in over uh, in about a year and uh, I, I don't know, just, you know, wherever. And so we went to church that morning. And that morning, I remember, I didn't end up at that church, but I made some lifelong friends. One of the friends I made there is in heaven now. And, uh, of course, um, I think about some of the other ones as, you know, we all get older. But there's an interesting thing of one of the friends that I made that first week I was there. You know, my son, uh, our son Taylor is um, over in Arkansas, and he went to school over in Arkansas, and he met his wife over in Arkansas. And she uh, happened to be a member of Oak Cliff Baptist Church in Fort Smith. And when he told me that, I go, Oak Cliff Baptist Church, that rings a bell. That rings a bell. One of those people that I met that first Sunday going to church in Stillwater all those years ago was her minister of music. He's been at Oak Cliff Baptist Church in Fort Smith for 30 years. His name is Lyndall Hobbs. He's one of the people I met back in 1979 when I first went to church in Stillwater. God changed my life through those people. And he pointed me to Christ and showed my need for salvation because I was a hypocrite. I was a 
Christian in, you know, they call rhinos, Republicans in name only. I was a kino, I guess, a Christian in name only. And I remember those people being around those guys. And later we moved into a house and there were four of us living there. And these people read their Bible when they didn't even have to. And they would talk about the things of God. And they would go to church when nobody was making them. And, uh, oh, it was amazing how it pointed me to Christ. What does that have to do with Rolades? It was during that time that uh, OSU was uh, in trouble on deep probation for having a slush fund and all of that kind of thing. They fired their coach and they hired the coach who later would become the legendary Hall of Fame coach, Jimmy Johnson. Some of you love him, some of you hate him. And uh, I remember a bumper sticker. How does OSU spell relief? J-I-M-M-Y. And he was supposed to be the answers. And he probably did change the trajectory of the football program, at least for the 80s. And um, I remember, you know, thinking that uh, how we put everything we have, what is going to bring me relief? Well, if I have Rolades, I've got relief. If I don't, don't have them. If I've got the right coach for my team and for my school, then, boy, everything's going to be great. But if I don't, I'm in trouble. And I thought, that's how we live our lives. A shot in the dark. If I could just be this... I can't be happy with who I am or the way God made me. I've got to be something else or someone else. There's always something that... And the media helps us with all of that, especially social media. And they point out all of our flaws, everything that we don't have, everything we can't attain, and failure, 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 failure is put in front of us. How do you ever make it in this world? Now, to get to our text in Exodus chapter 40... I look at all of the civilizations that no longer exist that are mentioned in these old books of the Old Testament. And then I look and I go, but there's one who does still exist. The Jews are still alive and well on the earth in spite of all of the attempts by various people to wipe them out, the genocide attempted against them. But God said that that wasn't going to happen and they're still around. The nation of Israel, it was a dead nation with a dead language and should have been a dead culture and yet it thrives today in the Middle East. Why, Why is it that they were so successful? And I think it goes back to what we find here. And we're going to find out how the Bible spells success by looking at what Moses did in Exodus chapter 40, verse 1. Now, we're covering a lot of Scripture, so I'm going to make the point and then read the verses. So go to verse 1, and the first point that we want to make here is the Word of God was received and respected. Received and respected. Notice how this takes place. Verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, that's the word of God, saying on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put, it, put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You remember all of those? We talked about them. Verse 4, you shall bring the table and arrange the things that are to be set on the table, set on it, and you shall... <clears throat> Bring the lampstand and light its lamps, and you shall also set the altar of gold. 
for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Verse 7. And you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. Okay, a lot of instructions there. And we say, man, I'm glad we don't have to do all of that now. And uh, yet at the same time, what do we learn from that? God has a very specific way that he says that you will approach me, a very specific way that he says that you will worship me, a very specific way about what he wants, how he wants it. He even tells Moses when to do it, doesn't he? And so everything has to be done in the right way. Moses is not free to just simply say, well, you know, Lord, I've got a better idea. How about instead of a table, if we put a couch? How about instead of a box, it would be the Ark of the Covenant? Hey, you know what? We, we've got something over here that we can use, and it's already ready to go. We'll just use that, and it'll be good enough, and it'll basically do the same thing as what you want. No, everything had to be done exactly the way God said. And here's the thing that impresses me about Moses and about the people of Israel at this time. Now, they weren't always this way. Even Moses wasn't always this way. He was a sinner like us. But at this particular point, they listened to everything that God said. Now, if you go back in the preceding chapters, God said a lot. And he was very detailed about the plans for this worship center, for this tent of meeting and all of its furnishings, what they were made of, how they were to be made. Even remember all of the cubits, that um, span that would be from the, basically from the tip of the finger to the elbow and uh, roughly 18 inches, you know, and he would tell them this is how high, this is how wide. Oh, and by the way, make it out of gold or overlay acacia wood with the gold, all of that type of stuff. And when you do it, here's what it's for and here's where you place it. And remember that in all of that, in every piece, we saw Christ. And we saw a representative that God was saying, put this together, this will be how you worship me, but it's also going to have a meaning that's going to point toward a Savior who is going to come. Now, in our day, too, we need to have a respect for, and we need to receive the Word of God. It shouldn't bounce off of us. It shouldn't run off of us like water on a duck's back because we desperately need the Word of God. And you really don't worship the Lord without the Word. And you're never going to have any kind of everlasting success until you come the way of the Word of God. You can't come on your own. You can't come any way that you choose. This is not a cafeteria where you pick what you like. There's one way, and you come through the Word of God. God reveals the way through His Word. Number two, notice how in this next section of Scripture, common things and ordinary people become holy. And isn't that really what we want out of worship? We don't want to remain in our sin. We don't want to remain the way that we were. But when we come in contact with a holy God and see Him 
as he is, for who he is, and are redeemed by him, our lives are changed. In fact, we become new creatures in Christ, the Bible says. And you'll notice here that ordinary people like Aaron and his sons, they're anointed for ministry, to become priests. You and I, the moment that we're saved, the Bible says we become part of a royal priesthood before God. And all of these things may have been beautiful, but there were lots of kings and lots of palaces in those days that had gold overlaid tables and a box that was overlaid with gold. I mean, that's just what you did. But there was something different about these that when they anointed them with oil, as God said here, they became holy. And here's the thing that I would say to you today. You may have messed up your life. You may be at the very, very bottom. You may feel like you were dirty. You may feel like you were scum. But let me tell you something. If the Spirit of God touches you today with the truth of the gospel, you too will become clean and you will become holy because that is what God does. Ordinary things and ordinary people become holy. Let's read about it. In, uh, as we go on down to verse 9. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle, because up until that point it's just a tent, a tabernacle, and all that is in it, because up until that point it's just stuff, furniture, and you shall hallow it, the word hallow means make it holy, set it apart, and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. Now this stuff is different all of a sudden, just like you and I are different when we come to know Jesus. Verse 10, you shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar, and the altar shall be most holy. See the transformation that takes place in all of this stuff? Verse 11, and you shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it, And then you shall bring Aaron, Moses' brother, and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. And you shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics." So what is happening here is we're finding that something that was going to be just an ordinary thing, maybe a fancy thing, maybe an elaborate thing with all the gold that was in it, but it's just a thing, just a thing. I mean, all the pyramids had a ton of gold in them too at one time. King's palaces had a ton of gold in them at one time as well. And now we just find their ruins. Now maybe they're just articles in a museum. And we look at them and we say, oh, well, that's interesting. And then we just walk away and kind of forget about it. It doesn't really change our lives. But the difference is when these things are put together and God said, now here's what I want you to do. And I want you to recognize these things as coming from me and being for me, and now they're different. You don't run into the tabernacle and pick up something and say, hey, I needed a a fork for my spaghetti, I'll just use this. You You don't do that with this kind of stuff. It is holy, and the word holy means it's set apart. It's set apart. It's not just for normal, everyday use. It's set apart for the worship of the Lord. 
And the Bible says that the moment that we receive Christ as Savior and Lord, we become a new creature in Christ. Everything is new, and we are anointed. The Bible says in 1 John, we have this anointing. The Holy Spirit does it, and we can't see it. We may not feel it, but it's nonetheless true. And we become holy, set apart for the Lord's use. You are holy. You are a saint. In the New Testament, the church members are addressed as saints. That's who you are. Set apart and made holy by the Lord and by His Holy Spirit. Number three. There's always when we are successful and when we're truly worshiping the Lord, <clears throat> there is a, <clears throat> pardon me, a heart for future generations. It's not just about here, it's not just about now, and it's not just about us. There's something about this that we want it to go on and on and on until Jesus comes. Well, that was certainly on the heart of the Jews. That was certainly what they wanted, and they were very successful at it, by the way, because they still continue as a race, and that Judaism still continues as a religion today, and Israel still exists as a nation. This is something that ought to be on the heart of every child of God and on the church, a heart for future generations. Look at verse 15. You shall anoint them, speaking of Aaron's what? His sons, his kids. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father. Why? Here's a purpose. That they may minister to me as priest, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. And this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. And so the heart of this is, this is not a one-time thing. This is not just for the Israelis who are there in the desert of Sinai. This is to be carried on long after they're gone. You know, uh, so many times I think as Americans, we have such a short-term thinking. It's all about us and now and what we like. And so uh, most of our stuff is not really heirloom quality. It's throw away. We just throw it away. We get a new one. Phone doesn't work anymore. Throw it away. Get a new one. Microwave doesn't work. Throw it away and get a new one. TV doesn't work. Throw it away. Get a new one. And even the way we build our buildings, you can tell they're not really made to last for four or five hundred years like we find other cultures that are doing. We're a disposable throwaway. We always want the newest and the latest. We don't really value old things. And it's interesting when you go to other cultures, they even do that with people. If you are an old person in India, they want to hear you more than they want to hear a younger person because older people have more wisdom and more life experiences. And you'll find that in Africa. You find that among Native Americans and uh, other people as well. It's something that in our contemporary culture, we worship the young and we worship the uh, youth and we try to stay young as long as we possibly can. And uh, let me just kind of add in here, there's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself and being healthy and being up to date and all of that. But hey, if you're a middle-aged woman, please don't try to dress like a teenager. And if you're a middle-aged man, please don't try to be cool like the young 
guys that you see around here, we used to laugh at those kind of people, and they'll laugh at you as, as well. Be what you are and embrace what you are. Uh, you know, we, we look and we see a, a people that are just like, I can't believe I'm not young anymore. You're not supposed to be. You're supposed to grow up. Well, I'm coming to the end of my life. You're supposed to. Nobody lives forever. That's why you need to be focused on the Lord and ready for eternity. But at the same time, while you are doing that, pour your life into somebody else. Well, they won't listen. Uh, you're probably trying to pour it into the wrong people. Don't try to give it. Don't force feed the ones who won't listen. They'll spit it out. But pray and ask God to give you somebody and then watch. You may be surprised who it is that the Lord gives you to pour your life into. It may be somebody in your family. Maybe all of your grandkids don't really care to hear about the stories of your family and the history of your family. I didn't. Did you? But there may be one who will. And that one may become the one who writes the roots of your family and it becomes a bestseller or something. Who knows? They may learn and they may teach their cousins who wouldn't listen. They may teach them later on. There were things that I heard from my mom and dad and from my grandparents that my brother didn't. <clears throat> he didn't really care. But you know something now? He cares now. And there are times when we talk and we talk about things we learned, things that happened in our family, things that our family has been through. And he's been able to share some things with me that I didn't know. And I've been able to share with him some things he didn't know, a whole lot of things he didn't know, a lot more things. I mean, I've always been a whole lot better than him. But uh, if he's watching today, get that, Jeff? And uh, that's the way those things go. But here's the deal. We never become any greater than the way that we treat our children. This is one of the things that to me was horrifying about abortion. What it was saying about our society is we're okay with killing our young. This is one of the things whenever you see the people of God when we get to the point where we say, well, we've got our music, our style of preaching, we've got the things the way we want them, that church is probably going to die. Because you have to have your eye on the future. How can we reach? How can we minister to upcoming generations? And understanding that generations that have come after us were probably raised in a different America and a different culture than we were. They faced different battles. They faced different things than we did. They may be coming from a broken home. They may have been rejected by uh, all of their peers. There may be any number of things that come on in their life like that. And what we are here to do is to show them the love and the mercy and the acceptance of Jesus Christ and to let them know if they'll repent of their sins and trust Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be, be received by Christ. The old hymn says, Christ receiveth sinful men, even me with all my sin. That's what we remember. And so we look around and we see the generations coming after us as sinners as well who need the touch and the grace of God if the faith, if it's going to carry on. 
And uh, that's what they were doing here. You not only anoint Aaron because it's not just about us. It's not just about here. It's not just about now. There's a generation that's going to be in that land, that promised land that God had given them. And this has to carry on. You've got to have an eye for new generations. Number four. When you are worshiping and when you are successful, it's a time of new beginnings. There was a time in 1982 when I bowed my knee before Christ and I surrendered to Him as Lord and I trusted Him as the full payment for my sins. And I had a new beginning. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. It's a new beginning. And I find it interesting in verse 1 and in verse 17, it says, And it came to pass in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month. Okay, what is the first month of the year and what is the first day of the month? And we call it New Year's Day. It's when our calendar changes. Now, their New Year's Day doesn't correspond to January 1st. It's in April. But nonetheless, it was the same thing. And God tells Moses, I want you to set up the tabernacle. And I want you to do it on a specific day. I want you to do it on New Year's Day. Why? This is new. Everything becomes new from this point on. And whenever you really get in connection with the Lord Jesus, here's the good news. You become a new creature in Christ. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. And he is still doing that, isn't he? And he's taking people that are dead in trespasses and sins, people that are at the end of everything, people that have nothing to live for, and all of a sudden they have new life, and the new life is, of course, in Christ. And so that's really what we're all about, is new life. People being born again, lives being changed, marriages being renewed, dishonest people becoming honest, right? We're talking about people who you can't stand to be around and all of a sudden you love them to death because they have been changed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the new tabernacle was to be erected on New Year's Day and it was one year from the very first Passover. That's what the time frame that we're looking at. One year from the very first Passover, they'd been in Sinai nine months. I found that significant about, two, uh, about new life as well. How long is a woman pregnant with a child? What is the gestation period? Nine months. And it's as if from the time that they left Egypt till now, it's been a whole year from slavery to freedom. And also, we've been here in the desert by the mountain and all of the things that take place for nine months. And now we're setting up the tabernacle. It's the new birth of a new nation. Because in redemption, we become new and we have a new relationship. And then number five. We have a follow through. And I've added a word here that's not on the screen. And finish. Follow through and finish. How many promises have you made to the Lord that you never followed through on? How many truths have you learned that you never got around to applying? How many vows have you made to the Lord in the past? Lord, I'll give you my life, or I'll give you my money, or I'll give you my time, or I'll give you my future, or whatever, and, and yet you haven't followed through on those things. Read Ecclesiastes that that is a dangerous thing. Now, a lot of verses here. 
Begin reading at verse 18. And I want you to pick up on a repeated line, a repeated line. Watch for it because this is how the Old Testament puts things in large font, bold print. Okay? Watch for the repetition. Verse 18. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, and put in its bars and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle. It had a co an outside cover. And put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 20. He took the testimony, that's the stone tablets the Ten Commandments were written on, and put it into the ark, the box, and inserted the poles through the rings of the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony. It seems like I've seen this before. As the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 22. He put the table of, uh, in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord. As the Lord had commanded Moses. How many times have we seen that now? Verse 24. He put the lampstand on the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle and he lit the lamps before the Lord huh, as the Lord had commanded Moses. What's the point, Lord? Verse 26. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil and he burned sweet incense on it. Well, here we go again. As the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 28. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle. And he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering. <clears throat> What? As the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 30. He set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in there for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. And whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when they came out of the uh, near the altar they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around, that's the fence, it's around the outside of the tabernacle, uh, raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen at the court gate. So the tabernacle is symbolic of of course, how we worship God. Ligon Duncan is helpful when he says, Now each of these parts of the tabernacle was a symbolic, of symbolic value and point to particular truths. For instance, the brazen altar, you remember, 
reminded the people that the only approach to God in worship through atonement was through sacrifice. Sin had to be dealt with in order for them to come into the presence of God. So there are a lot of people today that they say, well, I'm trying to find God, I'm trying to get to God, but they don't deal with their sin. You have to deal with your sin, and the only way to do that is through the sacrifice. What sacrifice? The sacrifice of Christ, where he said, it is finished and paid for all of it. The presence of God. The laver out of which the priest washed reminded them that they had to be clean in order to serve God in the tabernacle. Some of you are trying to serve God, but you're not clean. Confess your sin, 1 John 1.9. He goes on to say that they had to be ceremonially cleansed in order to serve the Lord faithfully. The ark reminded people of God's presence. It was the visible symbol of the presence of God. The ten words, the tablet placed in the Ark of Testimony, the covenant, reminded the people of the covenant relationship that they had with God. And the veil of the tabernacle reminded people that access was not easy and flippant into the presence of Almighty God. It was restricted and only the priest could enter the presence of God on the Day of Atonement in the Holy of Holies. And so the priest represented, representatively went into the presence of God and God's people with him. Now, all of these things point to Christ and his covenant. In Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, that would be God the Father, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now you know why seven times in that passage we read it said, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him, because Moses was faithful. And then we find in this passage in Hebrew... Jesus also was faithful. Now, Jesus wasn't faithful like Moses. Moses was faithful like Jesus because Jesus is the supreme one. And Moses was the human mediator at that time that pointed to the divine mediator that would come later on, which would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Moses finished the work and the old Covenant, as the old covenant mediator, and uh, Jesus finished his work as the new covenant mediator. Now, uh, there's a saying that I've heard, and I looked it up, and I found out it was from Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa said, God has not called us to be successful, but to be faithful. Now, I'm going to dispute that. Why am I going to dispute it? Because I think it's clear as we read through this passage. How do you spell success when you look it up in God's dictionary? F-A-I-T-H-F-U-L-N-E-S-S. There's not a difference. You don't choose between success and faithfulness. 
It's when you put your heart on faithfulness, that's when you become successful in the things that really mattered. You get it? And so we watch this world. No wonder the Bible says this world is passing away because they're in pursuit, in hot pursuit of things that won't last, of things that don't matter, of things that are insignificant. But God has given us the ability and the instruction on how to pursue Him, the Eternal One, and how to be faithful to Him in good times, in bad times, when it's popular, when it's persecuted, it doesn't matter, just to be faithful with God. And when you stand before God one day to give an account for your life, what will be the measure of how He judges you? Well, first of all, it's going to be whether you have trusted in the sacrifice of Christ and committed yourself to Him as the full payment for your sins and surrendered to Him as Lord. If you haven't, then nothing awaits you but everlasting destruction in the lake of fire. But if you have, and you stand before the Lord and you say, I'm no David, I'm no Daniel, I'm no Moses, I'm no Peter, I'm no Paul. You don't have to be. You weren't made to be. Well, I just had a very simple, ordinary life that was ordained of God. Not everybody can be a big shot, can they? Here's the key. Have you been faithful with what the Lord has given you? Time, talent, obedience to the opportunities that He has put in your way. Just be faithful because success in God's dictionary is spelled faithfulness. And if you're faithful, you are successful. And the key was not Moses was just a special breed of cat, somebody might say. No, the key was Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and so should you. And so today, if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you feel that the Lord is drawing you to do that, then obey Him and surrender your life to the Lord. Trust Him as your Savior and Lord, that He paid for your sins on the cross, that He rose from the dead, and He's been exalted as Lord of all. And if you have trusted Him, how are you doing with everything that He has given you? We talked this morning in Sunday school about praise, kind of a hard thing to do because we think praise is for big, dramatic, miraculous things. How about Praising God that when the temperature is 110 degrees, you can get into air conditioning. How about praising God that when we have a dry spell like we have now, you don't have to go down to the creek and get a bucket of water for your Saturday night bath, whether you need it or not. How about praising God that when you go into your kitchen, you can turn on the faucet and the water is drinkable, it's clean. How about thinking about all of those kind of things and getting in the habit of praising God instead of complaining? I know it's hot. And guess what? God knows it's hot too. And it can get a lot hotter. But think about all that we have to be thankful for that our ancestors didn't have. Learn to praise the Lord. And here's what you do when you do that. You are being faithful to give Him glory in all all things. And that's the bottom line. 
success. If you open up God's dictionary, you spell it. F-A-I-T-H. F-U-L-N-E-S-S. And I spell that with high anxiety. Did I get it right? That's what you got to do. And that's got to be the question that you've got to ask too. When it comes to living life, did I get it right by being faithful to a holy God? Heavenly Father, thank you for this testimony about Moses. And what you said, Holy Spirit, over and over and over and over and over about him. May it be said of us that we were faithful to do all that the Lord commanded. In Jesus' name, amen.